Hi, Louie. <laughs> hey, Gavin. How are you doing? I'm doing grand. I'm sipping on a Blue Moon, my Ooh. favorite beer, because I'm very masked, but also very gay. Because it feels like summer? Mm-hmm. Is that... Oh my god, I've been loving the summer showers situation. Yeah. Um, Except for the fucking hailstorm yesterday. That was crazy. I don't... Maybe I was asleep for that. I don't remember. Oh, did it not? Oh, I mean, I mean, we we live so far away. We, I know. Oh, how is it? In, how is it in Bushwick and Bed Stuy? It's so different. <laughs> yeah. uh, welcome everyone to the Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast. We take a film subject, such as an actor, a director, or mini genre, and we give you a full history. And we talk about the good and we talk about the bad. But mostly, we're here to celebrate. You are in the middle of us celebrating some of our best and favorite black uh, uh, Hollywood movers Artists. and shakers. Yes. Um, at our last episode, we talked about the icon, the living legend, uh, Mr. Spike Lee himself. Um, and we asked you guys to go online to vote for your favorite um, movie. <laughs> what was it? What's the word? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I already know who won. It was a landslide victory. My pick school days came in at last at 8%. I feel like this is my second episode in a row coming in last place and I don't like it. <laughs> so what the fuck is up, guys? The Listen, even our audience, the reviews, they're mixed. Just saying. Okay, except I'm always in last place. That's not mixed. <laughs> What's <laughs> happening? Um, Black Klansman came in at 13%. Malcolm X came in at 17%. And Gavin's pick, Do the Right Thing, came in at 62%. Um, do the right thing, which, by the way, is just celebrating its 31st anniversary. Um, all good movies. I think uh, we had a really good time going through um, Spike's uh, body of work. Um, I was just mentioning to Gavin, he put out a couple little deleted scene things on Instagram that I really loved. Thank you for doing that, Gavin. And I like being able to explore bits of our podcast that we couldn't put out in the episode because i refuse to put out an episode that's longer than two hours sorry guys i well, just i can't i can't in good conscience put out a uh a peter jackson sized episode i just i won't well, do Gavin, it Gavin, we famously love bits here it's just bits yes. bits bits um i have a tight five and you and me together have a tight two hours um, <laughs> <laughs> um but Anyway, before we keep get going on, just to remind everyone, uh, keep protesting, keep going out, keep donating, doing all you can, wear your fucking masks, um, and join us on this magical journey uh, into Black Hollywood. We're having such a good time. Absolutely, and I, I agree with everything Louis just said. So, but you know, you know, you don't need me to back you up, but I, I want to. I want people to know Gavin, that back I me also, up. Use I also pri- am use your a- white privilege, please. Exactly. God. I'm just here to let you have a voice, <laughs> <laughs> talk over me anytime you want, because oh honestly, God. it's it's probably necessary. <laughs> talk over me, Daddy. Um, <laughs> anyway, Gavin, who are we talking about today? We are talking about somebody who is a genuine trailblazer an yes. icon a multi-award winner mm-hmm. Halle Berry it's Ms. Halle Berry she is the only African-American woman to have an, uh, a lead actress Oscar um, absolutely and that's fucked up and crazy and I'm looking at you Meryl because you stole violas I don't want to <laughs> fucking hear it okay it is bonkers 
that mm-hmm. we have gone so many years since Halle Berry's yes. triumphant win yes. in 2002 for Best Actress. We've gone 18 years and a black woman or any woman of color has mm-hmm. won for Best Actress. We've had a handful win for supporting, which is... Oh, yes. We, we, which deserved, we love. But I, to this day, Viola Davis obviously should have won for The Help. And she should have won for Lead for Fences. I'm sorry. Also, go listen to our Viola Davis episode. It's one of my favorites. It's so good. It's very, very good. And I can back you up on that 100%. And not just because we co-host the show. <laughs> but it, it's it's crazy because it's one of those things, too. Because I think when, when people hear... Other people say that when people hear us say that, they think we're saying that the the Academy should make some sort of special arrangement for people of color, for Latinx people, for Asian women, for for black women, um, trans women to to be nominated over white people. We're not saying that we're saying that these black women and everybody else I just named are giving that level of performance yep but they are ignored mm-hmm. because it's easier to not nominate a white person right that's and i think it's literally what we're saying it has nothing to do about you know glad handing it's not like preferential treatment it's literally right. like uh equal like treatment there is no equal treatment i think as we go through this episode we're gonna see Halle berry had to like really play the fucking game um in her career to get the recognition the reason she did and um maybe even suffered for playing the game so hard um from both her peers and hollywood at large um you know she really had to hustle and i think you know it's uh the the proof is literally you know her her iconic acceptance speech i mean you can just feel the, the weight of like the world kind of like melting away on her when she's like sobbing on stage this moment so much bigger than me. This moment is for Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Horne, Diane Carroll. It's for the women that stand beside me, Jada Pinkett, Angela Bassett, Vivica Fox, and it's for every nameless, faceless woman of color that now has a chance because this door tonight has been opened. Because she worked so, so hard and it wasn't even just about the craft of it all, because I think, you know, it it would be one thing for people to be like, ah, yes, if that was the case, more black women would have already won. Um, But Halle Berry had to like shake 10 billion hands, you know, be as beautiful as she is and do all the like extra work. It's that it's it's that scandal thing, you know, Um, and when I say scandal, I mean Shonda Rhimes scandal. You know, like she is this black woman who has to work 10 times as hard just to get the same amount of recognition, um, which is bullshit. Absolutely. And so I think she's had a very interesting career. I think she's had a very interesting life. And why don't we just dive right into it? Let's go. And that way our audience can get to know her a little better as well. Yeah, let's get into the rewind. Maria Halle Berry was born August 14th, 1966, making her a very young 53, which feels impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like a big lie. Um, Clearly still in her 30s. Uh, She was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and she had her name legally changed to Halle Maria Berry at age five. So just switching that middle name and that Mm -hmm. first name, just 
rotating them around. Uh, her parents selected her middle name from Hallie's department store, which was then a local landmark in Cleveland. Uh, her mother, Judith Ann, is a white woman who was born in England, Liverpool to be exact. Um, she was a psychiatric nurse, and her father, Jerome Jesse Berry, was a black hospital attendant in the psychiatric ward where her mother worked. He later became a bus driver. I don't think I knew that she was, uh, you know, she had a white mom. Um, really? Which, yeah, I don't think I knew that. I just thought she was very fair-skinned. Um, oh, we're going to get into it then. I know. I'm no, like, I mean, not like fight, but we're just going to get into the history. <laughs> Gavin, we're fighting now. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so growing up, not exactly easy. Uh, first of all, her mother ends up divorcing her father when she was four years old. Um, and she and her sister, Heidi Berry Henderson, were raised exclusively by her mother. Uh, the stories of her father, not great. Uh, she has been estranged from him since her childhood. She has talked about the abuse that uh, her wow. mother suffered at his hands, uh, the abuse her sister suffered at his hands. He uh, was an alcoholic. So right then and there, you know, that lends itself to not only verbal abuse, but a lot of physical abuse. And especially towards my mother. Uh, and then later on in life, he came back to live with us when I was like maybe 10 years old. And this time, he started to not only abuse my mother, but my sister, our dog, and I just wished he would go. In 1992, in fact, she said, I haven't heard from him since he left. Maybe he's not alive. Wow. Her mother moves her from Cleveland. They move out more towards the suburbs. And life out there, not easy. Oakwood, Ohio. She ends up being in a school where her and her sister become the minority and they're teased constantly. I think probably when I was in the third grade and it was from a, another kid at school who had gotten a glimpse of my mother and told me that she couldn't possibly be my mother because had I noticed that she was white and I wasn't, that maybe I was in fact adopted that this really couldn't be my mother. All of a sudden we were in an all-white school with all-white kids, like three out of, you know, 2,500 students, and we were in culture shock a little bit. And I, I got bullied uh, a little bit because of the color of my skin. And being, at that time, we were Oreos because my mother was white, my father was black, and we got called Oreos and names. And, you know, kids just didn't understand, so we were different. And so that, we were the, you know, brunt of a lot of jokes. At this early age, she decides, well, I am black. So she doesn't necessarily consider herself a biracial person or a mixed race person. She considers herself black because she knows that that is what people see when they look at her. This mm -hmm. is what she said. Wow. I, 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 I mean, all of that has got to be fucking yeah. hard yeah i mean i think the interesting thing about halle berry and like we are definitely not the people to be having this conversation but i think it in general you know um i, I remember growing up and and halle berry for the longest time was like the pinnacle of a black uh beautiful woman and every every woman wanted to strive to be like halle berry but and again this is kind of fucked up because i didn't know that she was um biracial but Everyone was like, oh, well, she's so light-skinned, so that's why she's popular right. and beautiful. And obviously, I mean, uh, Lupita Nyong'o has said, like, colorism is, like, the ugly cousin of racism. And, you know, I have benefited from being a light-skinned Latino. And 
and and so I understand feeling out of place even in your own minority um and and like that's the worst kind of teasing because you truly don't fit in you're you're too one thing for one place to one thing for another um and it's it, it's fucking horrifying it really fucks up who you think you are and where you belong um and so I hearing that kind of uh I feel for her and I, I can, I can only imagine, you know, what she went through and, and, um, you know, striving to be, you know, um, the best at what she's doing. It's yeah. I don't know. And that, and that's really what, I mean, is as negative and awful as that all is. And it genuinely is. She turns it into a net positive for herself. She said, because of that, she was always constantly trying to prove herself as better than the average person. Um, she ends up going to Bedford High School in, o in Oakwood, uh, where she becomes a cheerleader and honor student and the editor of the local newspaper and fucking prom queen. Wow. Just like me. Exactly. Just, same story. Yeah. Uh, the same she, struggles, same accolades. <laughs> Uncanny. She goes to Cuyahoga Community College. And this is, you know, during the 80s. She's dating a guy and he, without her knowing, submits her picture to a beauty pageant oh an ally and, and she at first is like no no thank you he wanted a beauty pageant girlfriend i got this letter in the mail saying you are a finalist in the miss teen ohio and i thought what I, what is this and then he told me oh by the way i sent your prom picture in and now you have to go so i took my prom dress i went to this contest and i ended up winning and once you start winning these things, it's like a snowball. Then you have to go to the next one. Then if you win there, you go to the next one. She ends up winning Miss Teen All-American in 1985. And then <laughs> winning Miss Ohio USA in 1986. Wow, she really said, don't make me sing. Don't exactly. make me sing. I, maybe. I don't know. So when, you, when you're Miss Ohio USA in 1986, that of course means you're competing in the Miss USA pageant. I would like to symbolize a very positive role model, not only for women, but for all the people of the United States. And through me, I hope that they could learn that no matter what race, color, religion, or sex you are, you can be whatever it is you want to become. Thank you very much, Miss Ohio. She ends up being the first runner-up in the 1986 Miss USA pageant to Christy Fickner of Texas. In the Miss USA 1986 pageant interview competition, she said she hoped to become an entertainer or have something to do with the media. Um, I've heard her talk about this before. Her goal, her career goal was basically like globe-spanning journalists, like country-hopping, like reporting from the front lines. I love Obviously, that. Obviously, career took a different path. I was going to college. I wanted to be... A journalist. I wanted to, you know, be a news anchor or travel to far seas and, you know, r report. Yeah. Uh, but it's when I was living in Chicago, I took a class at Second City just for shits and giggles, just because I was having a boring summer and just wanted to do something with myself. And through that experience, one of my teachers there said, I really think you should be an actor. I think you have just some natural talent. And I thought, huh? I, I never thought of that. But because mm. I so respected that school and this teacher, I decided to take a detour and check that out. And then one thing led to the next. So after that, she's like, cool, cool, cool. Did the pageant thing. What's a girl to do next? I don't uh -huh. know. Modeling. Yeah. Um, she moves to New York. <laughs> Does not go. I mean, she's getting gigs. She's getting booked. She looks like Halle Berry. Uh -huh. So Hello. certainly. But 
those aren't exactly paying her bills, bills, bills. So she ends up having to sleep in a homeless shelter and then a YMCA. Wow. What a roller coaster, you know? I mean, like, first of all, this is a woman who went to community college uh, in Ohio, which, I don't know, speaks to so much to, like, you don't fucking need a fancy degree in anything from anywhere to make something of yourself. Right. And then to, you know, just truly to shine on personality and charisma to do so well in these pageants and then still to be able to be humble enough to come to new york and say you know what yes i'm gonna sleep in the ymca for for however long it takes for me to figure things out like i think a lot of people today would be like no you know (laughs) but not miss hallie not miss barry so she ends up going on acting auditions she thinks maybe i can make a career out of this and the very first one she does is for a ABC television series called Living Dolls. It's a spin-off of Who's the Boss, starring Alyssa Milano. It was following her character at a modeling school. My character was Emily. She was very innocent. She was the girl that started every scene with, hi, guys, and ended the scene with, come on, let's go. She had no purpose, but it was my first job. No, it's not you. I'm taking advanced science classes. You see, this modeling stuff is great, but for me, it's just a way to make money so I can go to medical school. Huh, of course. Why would anyone want to be a boring old model when they could be in the exciting, glamorous world of liver transplants? <laughs> Luckily for me, that show was very short-lived. But also on the set, uh, at one point during a long shoot, she lapsed into a coma, and when she came to, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Oh, wow. I also didn't know that she had diabetes. Hmm. Well, there you go. We're learning this... things today, honey. <laughs> um, Living Dolls only lasted about a season or a little less than a season. Um, and so she she was like, I got this. I can do this acting thing. It's great. She moves to Los Angeles. She gets a recurring role on Knott's Landing. She's doing her thing. She eventually hears Spike Lee, a name that you heard very much a lot yes. last week. Yes. She hears he's casting for his new film, Jungle Fever. She begs and begs and begs for this role. As previously mentioned on the last episode, she doesn't shower for two weeks and she garners the role of Vivian, who is a drug addict. She's great in the movie. It's not a yeah. huge role, but yeah. it's it's acting. Yeah, um, she takes every scene, which is like maybe maybe three, and she runs with them. Yo, Vivian. Would you let two loving brothers get a moment alone to get reacquainted and shit, you know what I'm saying? Where the fuck am I supposed to go? I don't know where the fuck but I am. But don't give a fuck where you go. Okay, okay you skinny ass, cause I'm just doing your ass, get in the motherfucking swing and wait for me. Swing, motherfucker, that's coming. Yeah, goddammit. I'm, I'm trying to get some motherfucking, motherfucking, motherfucking money from my brother here. Goddammit. What do you want to look like a pro, motherfucker? Yeah, stick this shit in your mouth, shit. Smoke this shit, shut the fuck up. Give me a motherfucking light, goddammit. Here, 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 take this goddamn light. Take this goddamn light. Take your motherfucking ass off. You better hurry your ass or you better come back with some motherfucking money. During that same year, she lands a pretty big role in a movie called Strictly Business. Its treatment of Hallie herself is a gross with a capital Mm. G. Like, essentially, her first shot in the film is a shot of her breasts. Uh, Clothed, but just like breasts filling the screen. I can't so, believe, Gavin, that we'll never talk about her breasts one more time later no, in this not podcast. One. They will not come up again. They will not be unclothed. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, the very next year, she portrays a career woman who falls in love with the lead character of Eddie Murphy in the romantic comedy Boomerang. Literally, my my biggest takeaway is like, wow, an actual romantic comedy that like, I don't know, is saying something that isn't like 
absolutely preposterous that is actually funny and like not just yes. all bullshit. Like I, it, it, the the thoughts going through my head were just like, wow, is this that hard? Is Hollywood really that fucked up that they can't make? Uh, the boomerang is like a very easy breezy funny um and 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 on top of that you get eddie murphy and martin lawrence and david allen greer and like all these like kind of like titans of black cinema who are just like kicking ass and also like having a casual moment enough to be like oh these fucking white people and so i was yep. like wow i was like boomerang really is <laughs> iconic uh, I'm gonna back you up 100. Uh, percent I think Boomerang is such an anomaly for 1992. I yeah. I do think some of the analysis of like women are like this and men yeah, are like yeah. this is a little old, a little played out. But once again, it's 1992. But honestly, and and not just to give the men credit, you have Eartha Kitt in this movie. Yes. You have you have Grace Jones as Stranger. So just, good. Just so screaming good. pussy at the top yes. of her lungs in a oh restaurant. My oh my God. I I loved Boomerang and I was shocked and I think it needs to have a reprisal because I think it has such a gentle hand in the way that yep. it's trying to talk about um you know, the the way that men and women function in a workplace. And obviously some of the stuff that happens in the film is exaggerated. People, yeah, right, absolutely. Right. People would be fired for sexual har harassment. Like, it, it could never go on. But the comedy itself is super layered. The characters themselves are very layered for a romantic yep. comedy. And on top of all of that, Halle Berry is playing the, like, kind of nerdy like a little like a little awkward but but right. not forced not just like oh and so awkward like no. a lived-in character like a real well-rounded person and i love the fact that the the movie was like listen we have this beautiful gorgeous woman we're gonna try and make her real you know what do you know about love what do you possibly think you know about love? You know, I'm sick and tired of men using love like it's some kind of disease you just catch. Love should have brought your ass home last night. Didn't you just hear me say I was sorry? I heard you say you're sorry. You're sorry and you're tired. You don't love me. You don't love Jacqueline. You only love your damn self. Literally all three of the women in this movie, these three characters, they all fuck and have sex and they're unapologetic and no one gets mad at them for it. You know, like, and right. it's so revolutionary. Eartha Kitt's character, she's like, yeah, whatever. I'm old and I just want to fuck. And and literally <laughs> it's, I mean, and that's played a little bit for comedy, but like it, it, it never feels judgmental. It's kind of like, right. okay, we're all awkward human beings who um have messed up things when it comes to relationships including sex which so yeah i'm so glad I, I finally got to see boomerang the next year she she grabbed headlines by starring in the miniseries adaptation of alex haley's queen the story of an american family uh where she plays a biracial slave um and it gets sort of rave reviews alex haley famously wrote roots uh, so it becomes a little bit of a sensation like that, though not quite as the the headline grabbing, you know, mini series right. of roots that everybody had to stop and watch on their TV. But but it is it is a pivotal moment for her career. That same year, she does the Flintstones. The Flintstones is so good. Oh my god. My only complaint, and obviously it's a weird one coming from an adult, is I think for a kids movie, it's a it's like a little too complicated. 
honestly, I so I hadn't seen this movie in years, and I watched it. It's on HBO right now. Everyone just yes. go to HBO. Put it. And I had I, not I, seen it since I was at the drive-ins as a little kid. Yeah, I, I, but it's it triggered so many things in me. I remembered, like, I've seen this movie like ten billion times as a child. As I was watching this, I was like, Flintstones is camp, honey. Okay, yeah, like that movie is. Steven Spielberg knew exactly the tone, and he was like, "We're gonna fucking run with it." Uh, and, yeah, and so and like uh, this is a real quick sidebar, and it'll make sense later. Trust me. But I I almost feel a little bit bad for John Goodman in that movie because, like, essentially, he did a movie with Steven Spielberg always years ago. And at the first read through of that, Steven Spielberg walked in and and literally said, ladies and gentlemen, my Fred Flintstone. And John Goodman was like, fuck, because he didn't want to be typecast for the rest of his career as having to say, yabba dabba do. And right. eventually it came down to the fact that it was like either John Goodman does this movie or we don't do this movie at all. So that story is going to be slightly important later in terms of Halle Berry. Can you imagine like right. getting into a famous film role, a famous film character, but also know, the Catwoman in the room will come Goodman, to it later. No one's going up to John Goodman and saying, yabba dabba do. Well, not now, but I'm sure at the time he was terrified of that the movie is considered this huge bomb but it ends up taking in like 150 million dollars on a 40 million budget yeah that movie is i i mean i i was like okay i need to watch this movie way i mean i i can't tell you the amount of time i was watching the movie and like the amount of scenes where i was like in my head playing them over and over and like i knew all the words i was like oh my god the flintstones movie is kind of formative for me (laughs) um speaking of catwoman by the way just another quick side note do you remember her character's name in flintstones um, uh miss stone miss sharon stone lol am i interrupting not at all fred i'd like you to meet your new secretary miss sharon stone my secretary personal secretary mr flintstone that is of course if you want me The role was actually offered to Sharon Stone, and she couldn't do it. And so Halle Berry ended up in the role. Um, but their names will will come back later. Um, from there, she starts getting offered more serious work. In 95, she does the custody drama Losing Isaiah. Um, in 96, she does the family movie Race the Sun, where she plays a teacher who helps build a solar car. Um, it's a Disney movie. <laughs> It definitely. Um, also in '96, she takes the the like pseudo action lead in Executive Decision, co-starring Kurt Russell. The same year, she also starts her professional relationship with Revlon, becoming one of their spokeswomen for about seven years, and then they renewed her contract in 2004, which I'm sure has been a very lucrative deal for her. Good for her; she deserves it. Oh, absolutely. In '97, she leads the film Baps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baps is on VH1 every weekend. I'm sure yes. you can find it. Live, um, laugh, love Baps. The uh, yeah, Baps is another movie I hadn't seen in a really long time, and I was watching it, and I was like, "Could this be offensive? Are there some stereotypes here?" I was like, "There's a really fine line," but also, you know, Robert Townsend directed it. Robert Townsend, who we've previously talked about in our '90s superhero movie episode, yep. because he Meteor did Man. Meteor Man, um, and 
I, I think you could go back and forth because it was the first movie he directed that he didn't write. And actually the writer of the film, uh, Troy Bayer, she said that she didn't feel her words were really translated to screen. And she took her the paycheck from that movie and directed her own film. So I think BAPS is incredible. I have <laughs> no issues with it. This is a movie made by black people for black people. And I am very happy that the rest of us get to enjoy it as much as we do. Um, I I also, in, in a very real way, love Barry's performance. I think it's a, li- a lived in performance. I don't think it's negative at all because she's able to find the real emotional core of her character. Yes. She has this sort of daughterly... Uh, she's pretending to be his granddaughter, but she has this sort of very daughterly relationship with Martin Landau, which, by the way, fucking Martin Landau is in this movie. And the way their relationship develops feels very real and it's very emotional in a in a film that is like essentially dumb and dumber, but starring two black women. Right. Yeah. Ugh, so good. It just it just proves that you can pull that sort of thing off, which, you know. I I don't know many other directors who would be able to do that. In 98, she also co-stars with Warren Beatty in the movie Bullworth, a film which he directs. And it's funny because she talks about Bullworth. So Bullworth is a movie in which a politician, a a Democrat uh, played by Warren Beatty, basically starts, quote unquote, telling the truth to people and not hiding behind his uh, political aspirations um, and and he meets Halle Berry, who's this young woman in a club, and she, you know she ends up being this like really well informed, raised by political activist woman, but also maybe a hit woman out to kill him. Um, Who can ever be sure? Yeah, and w- interestingly enough, Warren Beatty sort of becomes a mentor towards Halle Berry. He basically teaches her the idea that what's going to become really important in her career is being in the driver's seat of the project she's doing. Mm. He instills that idea that she needs to produce, that she needs to basically find her own writers and and put a team around her, people that are willing to work towards elevating her, basically not do everything that's offered, but find the roles that are actually going to enhance her acting career. Um, so she's talked about him many times over the years. She thanked him in her Oscar speech. She uh, introduced his AFI Lifetime Achievement Awards. And also the other thing that I think is really interesting about their working relationship is she has the direct opposite experience as almost everybody else that has worked with him. I've seen her talk in interviews a couple times about how he didn't do that many takes during Bullworth. No rehearsing. We didn't do any rehearsing. Um, and, and we don't really shoot a lot. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of takes either, um, at least not on everybody else. He um, doesn't really do a lot of takes. He believes, I think like Clint Eastwood believes, you choose the right actors and you come and you're prepared and you just do it. It's not a lot of over and over right. and over. Um, I think what most director, I think most directors, I think Jeffrey would say this too, most directors know that if you just do things over and over for the sake of hoping to get something better, what often happens is it just gets worse. It gets stale and it gets boring and it gets like, so you just don't really do it. So it's about finding the right people who've done the work and who are ready to shoot. And because of that, it, it altered the way that she perceived how she does acting. So she's not one of the, she's not like a method actor. She's not one of those people that comes in and she's like, I live this character. I leave the set and they're still in my head. She's 
in the moment, she talks a lot about how if you rehearse something to death, it becomes less fresh and it becomes stale and you run out of ideas. And it's really about the spontaneity of what you can come up with at the time that you're doing it. And so I think that's really interesting because I feel like we've done a lot of people on this show who are like technique, technique, you know, right. Meisner and Stanislavski. And she's like, nope, acting is reacting. Right. It's so funny. I can just imagine her being like, oh, Diane Keaton, was it hard working with Warren? For me, it was a breeze. <laughs> Two takes were exactly. out of there. <laughs> You know, I I could not believe Raven.gif that she said <laughs> that they didn't do that many takes. I was shocked. Bullworth is a very interesting subject, I think, honestly, and probably if we ever do a Warren Beatty episode, which, by the way, former guest Dan Mecca has an outstanding invitation to do a Warren Beatty episode with us. Okay. If we ever do one, I think it'd, it'd be a more interesting conversation to dig a little deeper into it because I find bits of Bullworth really exciting and interesting. And I also find um, a lot of it really insulting because I think it portrays his revelation of of telling the truth and, and destroying his political career uh, a lot like uh, an episode of mental illness. Mm. And because of that, it feels like everything that he does during that time period is something that somebody who maybe is not in the right mind would do, which I don't think just living the life of a black person in in America is uh, should be equated to having some sort of psychotic break. Right. But, but we can get into that in a in a whole other episode. <laughs> Um, the same year, she plays singer Zola Taylor in the movie Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Zola Taylor was one of the three wives of pop singer Frankie Lyman. Yes. Did you happen to see this movie at all? Oh, absolutely. This is done by my good my good friend Gregory Nava. Ever heard of him? Gregory Nava. Please welcome back to the stage, Gregory Nava. He directed Selena. Um, and while I was watching this, I was like, man, he really knows how to shoot the hell out of a concert scene. Genuinely. Hello, getting Little Richard to be in the movie playing himself. Iconic. Um, you know, the other women in this movie, Vivica Fox, uh, Lila Roshan. Like, it's, uh, it's. I, mean, I, I love this movie. It's, it's so fun. It's really great. And uh, I think a lot of the film critics didn't get it because it is not, it's not a movie that's necessarily interested in taking its subject matter 100% serious. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's a it's definitely a a comedy. And I think a lot of reviewers, you know, I kept seeing the word soapy come mm. up in a lot of reviews when I was l reading about this and but that feels like, you know, they're dismissing because this is not yes. a traditional biopic about Frankie Lyman, even though it is. It, the lens is through these three women and all their three different experiences with him. And so what? Just because it's focused on the, the drama of these women and trying to get, you know, what they deserved um, as he conned them into being like married to all three of them without them knowing. Um, and so like, what does that make it soapy? Like, fuck off. Ding, ding, ding. Tell him what he's won. Johnny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the that's the thing is it feels like it's only considered soapy because it's a biopic, but it's not focused on the subject. It's focused on the women that were left in the wake of this man's poor decision making and the way that it's handled with such sort of a I don't know. I also think there's a lot of really cool scene transitions in this movie. I think I think it's handled with a very light touch. It's not handled in a, that sort of pseudo serious way. And 
I, I think there's plenty of other very, very deathly serious biopics that you can go out there right. and, and watch that are nowhere near as fun or as interesting or as inventive as this film. Come on, you guys are talking about my husband. Your husband? Please, he was all of our husbands. But I just don't understand. Why could he write me those beautiful love poems knowing he was still married to at least one of you? Come on, man. That was Frankie being Frankie. Amen. Frankie just needed something different all the time. In 1999, she lands what is essentially her dream role. She stars in the HBO biopic Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. Dorothy Dandridge was the first Black woman to ever be nominated for Best Actress by the Academy Awards. She co-produced it and she, she fought for it every way along the way that she possibly could. She has felt connected to Dorothy Dandridge her entire life. Even before she decided she wanted to go into acting, she just knew that this was somebody that was really important to what she hoped to accomplish in in her life. And weirdly enough, they were born in the same hospital, obviously decades apart. But so there's huge connections to this other actress it's an HBO movie, and we've talked about HBO movies before. HBO movies tend to come out in America on HBO and then overseas in theaters uh, before going to HBO. But I think because it's considered a TV movie, people don't necessarily consider this an important part of Halle Berry's canon. And I think that's really unfortunate. She does get nominated for the Emmys and the Golden Globes. She wins her she Emmy wins. Award right. yeah. Yeah, for, for this movie. So I think it's 100% something she she should be proud of in her career. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think she's better than the movie. Um, (laughs) I get that. I I get that. I mean, I think when it's her on stage in those beautiful gowns and she's singing and, you know, performing, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like this, I mean, (laughs) Hallie is Dorothy. I, I, but I, uh, the movie itself to me felt a little like, I can't even remember it, honestly, now. I, it was one of the first things I watched just because I knew it was so personal to her. Um, but maybe it's just like when I was watching it, I was like, HBO movies are different now. <laughs> um, yes. It does feel yeah. a little lifetimey. Go ahead, Earl. Make jokes. Tonight, I'll take my bows and exit stage rear, go through the kitchen, past the casino, around the pool that I'm apparently too dirty to swim in, up the service elevator, into my luxurious penthouse suite, sip my complimentary champagne, and pee in a brand new Dixie cup. I take that walk with you every night, you know. But the difference is, Earl, you don't have to. That's true. I don't. I'm in a big picture. Somehow I thought this time things would be a little bit different. Before we get to our next role, I have a question to ask you. What's that? Do you know what happens when a toad gets struck by lightning? What? Same thing that happens to everything else. (laughs) 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 Um, So obviously, I mean, like what an iconic line, what an iconic line reading. I mean, where's her Oscar? Oh, she gets it later. The Oscar was for that line. Yes, 100%. So, uh, you know, what Louis is alluding to, obviously, is her iconic turn as the mutant superhero Storm in 2000's X-Men. 
many people have apologized for that line over the years. I think she's apologized for that line over the years. Uh, fun fact, uh, Joss Whedon wrote that line. He was brought no. in to, yeah, he was brought in to punch up the script. He ended up completely rewriting it. He set the finale uh, in a Walmart instead of in the Statue of Liberty. Uh, so they basically, monster. yeah, they basically said, thank you, but no thanks. But they did keep two lines, arguably the best line in the movie and the worst line in the movie. The best line in the movie being Wolverine saying, it's me and Cyclops saying, prove it. And Wolverine says, you're a dick. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then the worst line in the movie, the one we just did a dramatic reenactment of, uh, Joss Whedon has said many times that line is meant to be a throwaway line. It is not meant for a big music cue. It is not meant for a sweeping camera move, but that is the way it's handled on screen. And so, yes, obviously, it, I mean, seen, it sounds very dumb. X-Men was one of the like maybe the first movie that like really like kicked off the like superhero extravaganza of the millennia um right and i remember watching this movie over and over and over again like when you said the best line all i could think of and this is a dumb line is but it's literally when rogue is stuck in the truck and wolverine's like get out and she's like i'm stuck (laughs) and that's it that's literally it i just remember me and my friends telling each other i'm stuck just thinking how (laughs) thinking how stupid it is that a fucking superhero can't unbuckle her seatbelt do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning the same thing that happens to everything else we literally just talked about storm gavin you famously thought that angela bassett should be storm i think angela bassett should be storm in a better x-men movie but that's (laughs) I mean, for better or worse, like, I, I don't know the, the teen that's playing Storm in the later X-Men movies. Alexis Ship, I'm so sorry, Miha, but you are not Storm. <laughs> um, Halle Berry <laughs> is the only Storm that I know. I'll say this. The movies don't know what to do with her. The wig is bad. 100%. The look is bad. They don't. I think she doesn't fly into like the third movie. And even right. when I say fly, it's like they lift her up a little bit. Um all she is there for is like creating clouds to like cover the X-Men around. And that's it. That's all she does. I think maybe she does a couple which, Thunderbolt blasts here and there, but which <sighs> is bonkers because she is arguably the most powerful X-Man. Yes. And and hands down, especially in the 90s, and I know this movie was 2000, but especially in the 90s, it felt like Storm was there to drive the van. Yes. Yes. And and here's the thing, though, like, this is controversial, but here's my controversial take. I think Halle Berry would have been a better Jean Grey. Oh, I think Halle Berry has this energy that is, uh, you know, uh, soft and loving. And, and um, sometimes she she gives off a kind of fragileness to her. And I think she would have been just a very excellent Gene, because for Storm, you do want that, like, immediately regal Angela Bassett, powerful, you know, and not to say that Storm isn't loving and caring, but, like, you need the... the, And Angela Bassett can do all those things. Right. But... I I just think Hallie, in my head, uh, and no shade to Famke Jensen, because I think she's she was a great Gene, but I think... (laughs) So sorry, Famke Jensen. So sorry. So so sorry. Sorry. See see you out the door. So sorry. Thank you for coming. But also, I I just... (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously she was 
cast in this role because she probably at the moment was the most famous black actress yes. and so put her a fucking white wig on and you know uh, and and what sucks is that like they're like okay well we have Halle Berry so we should like really like give Storm something to do and so like they have yeah. to like kind of shoehorn her into like each each of the X-Men movies it's like what is Storm there for nothing and and like the the first movie especially there's you know, you mentioned the wig. The wig is the the most abysmal, and so much so that she ended up having to. She brought her own wig designer for the second movie. Like she she knew what was up. Also, right. they saddled her with an accent in the yes. first movie, oh which is God. such such a weird take because then even in the prequels with Alexis Ship, she doesn't have the accent, and I I don't know. It's it's very very messy. Those I I am famously an x2 defender i've said that uh in our super teams episode x2 is one of my favorite superhero movies uh but i genuinely for the most part if i had to i know they heralded the current superhero moment but if i could wipe the board of the x-men movies uh, we we deserved better um i enjoy them but they are not good i understand that (laughs) in 2001 she co-stars with hugh jackman her x-men co-star um in swordfish it's a movie about a hacker it's bad Mm -hmm. the famous thing about this movie is she does her first topless scene um it's a very very quick very very quick i'm sure there's websites who have screen capped it a billion times but um there's a little there's some conflama about this movie you know, people say that she was p- reportedly paid an extra five hundred thousand dollars for the scene. She said, "No, that's it's you know made great publicity for the movie, but no." Essentially, she has said her husband at the time, Eric Benet, uh, told her she should take more risks in film, and um, that she was like, "Cool, topless." And I think it's funny um, because I mean, in, so in that same year, we get um, Monsters Ball, which yes. would get her the Oscar, but you know, she's also in a very aggressive sex scene in this movie where she is also topless. Um, I could not tell you if how much of it is her or a model. It looks like her. Um, and it's almost as if she was like, okay, I'm going to make this fucking stupid movie, do this topless scene. She was trying to, um, like you said, take risks, but also shake any nerves about being topless. And so it's kind of interesting to think that the, this next movie, the, the movie that would get her, her Oscar has, not just her topless but like doing a full intense sex scene absolutely do you want to just get right to monsters ball because i genuinely don't think swordfish does yeah much for her career yeah outside of the myth um so 2001 she does monsters ball it's directed by mark forrester it's produced by lee daniels um it's this film at which she plays uh the wife of uh um a murderer who's on death row. Um, Fully forgot man. that it was Puff Daddy. P. Oh Diddy, my God. Whatever. I'm, I'm so glad I forgot it was Puff Daddy. P. Diddy. Sean Combs. Whatever. Whatever he's, he J- wants J-Lo's to call. ex. <laughs> and she ends up in a relationship with the prison guard who sent her husband. the execution, essentially? Yeah, oversaw the execution. Um, he leads a really tragic life himself. He has a son that he hates who ends up killing himself in front of him um, and a father that is 
a virulent racist that he also seems to hate but is is stuck in his world um yeah it's i it's not a light watch i mean it's not even not a light watch i think it i mean i genuinely think it's a bad movie i'm sorry i don't i don't know like i'm glad she got her oscar 100 percent. you know she gives an amazing performance I don't think you have to be a likable character for a movie to be good. I don't think Mm -hmm. anybody is likable in this movie. I think she is probably a genuinely terrible person. I think Billy Bob Thornton's character is very much a terrible person. You know what? No, there's probably one good character in this movie. He's played by most deaf and he has three scenes. So, (laughs) um, I, I don't understand this sort of misery porn aspect to this film. Um, It's this sort of gritty judgmental, like, wow, look at these poor people, look at their lives, look at the, and, you know, I, I feel like it's trying to say something about uh, racism in the way that it, it is ingrained and passed down through generations. I don't think it's necessarily successful about that. I think it's, it's really, attempts to punish its you know only bright spot in the film not named most def which is heath ledger right I, I don't i don't know holly berry's character is abusive towards her son in a way that mm-hmm. i found really unpleasant and yep. yeah i just I, think... I don't like this movie also sidebar um i think lee this type of movie is exactly the thing that lee daniels really is the lee daniels sweet spot um, I think this is what he's really great at. I think it it is much more Lee Daniels film than it is a Mark Forrester film. And I've said this before on the show. Mark Forrester is one of my least favorite current working directors. I don't think he's really ever directed a good movie. And to me, this is just more proof to the pudding because I, I think anybody could have done what he did specifically in the film. Um, and I think that's exactly why Lee Daniels hired him. Right. And I think, I mean, my take on the movie is that like it's more about parenting and you know like um because these are both people billy bob thornton and uh hallie they hate their kids they are not good parents um on billy bob's side his dad is also not a good parent um and the race stuff is just even more insidious because once again it's like this racist guy learning to not be a racist and like but also he's lying to hallie berry this entire time about like he knows that her her ex was um, the guy that she killed. And so it's kind of like they're grieving together because they both hate their kids and then both of their kids die um, in very um, tragic ways. Um, and, and I just think that that sex scene is too far fucking much. Like, it doesn't serve the plot. It doesn't serve the movie in any way. It doesn't make me believe that they're more in love than that they are. And... Yeah, like it's exploitative. Um, and and the funny thing is, is she has sort of defended that scene over the years. But I think it's also because as uh, as a woman, she's placed in a position to defend that sex scene. I don't think right. anybody's really interviewing Billy Bob Thornton that much about it in a way that's like, oh, my God, was it, you know, this and that for... But I think as a woman, she's expected to answer these things because people feel, especially as an audience, that they have an ownership of her body. And that's right. incredibly gross as well. Right. So in in terms of both a voyeuristic uh, 
and uh you know as you're saying like i i think both sides of that are right in a weird way um and but on the other hand of that like i do think she has every reason to be proud of this role and clearly it garnered her what is considered the highest achievement in acting in the u.s i do want to say this real quick and this is just a, a a small sidebar as well we talk about the oscars a lot about the importance of the oscars and everything i think it's important to keep in perspective that the oscars matter until they don't so mm-hmm. if if you're awarded an Oscar, great, fantastic, and you and you deserve it and and it really says that you're, you know, at the at the peak of your powers and and you're doing the right thing and you're giving a great performance. However, you know, if um, I hate to invoke her name because she is one of our greatest living actresses, but as you mentioned before, if Meryl Streep wins another Oscar, it's nothing. It's, it means nothing. N- it means nothing. And good for her. She's great. We know she's great. But that's why it's important when a black person wins the I, Oscar. It, it, if you haven't seen Halle Berry win her Oscar in that speech, like, please do. You can, and she's not. It wasn't a throwaway year. Like she was up against Judy Dench, Nicole Kidman, Sissy Spacek, and Renee Zellweger. You know, it wasn't like whatever. I mean, these are all titans of the industry, and I. It's seeing her win and she knows it and the entire the audience all stands up and starts clapping and you can argue until you're blue in the face about you know was this the movie that was it deserving was you know uh this the performance that was gonna get it, it in the end it doesn't fucking matter what matters is this black woman finally was able to cross the threshold open the door up for future uh black women and God damn, we're still like, and that was, if she won and it was just like a crack, one crack open because no one has been able to do it since. Um, and we're at this reckoning point now. And so to what you were saying, Gavin, it's like, it's important because it's representation seeing and, and you know, now we have Lupita Nyong'o and all these other black actresses who are pushing that door even farther, farther open. Um, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't it almost doesn't matter for what movie it was. Um, it most more matters that it was Halle Berry. Knowing that another woman of color has not walked through that door is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because I thought that moment was bigger than me. And it, it's heartbreaking to start to think maybe it wasn't bigger than me. Oh. Maybe it wasn't. And I so desperately felt like it was. So people have said to me since this has happened this year, and so many people have been speaking out, they've said, so why do you think that is, Hallie? Like, what's your take on it? And I only have my take, and my take is that it's really about truth-telling. And as filmmakers and as actors, we have a responsibility to tell the truth. And the films, I think, that are coming out of Hollywood aren't truthful. And the reason they're not truthful these days is because they're not really depicting the importance and the involvement and the participation of people of color in our American culture. Our cities are filled with black and brown people. And many times, unfortunately, we see films that are set in Chicago, New York, Atlanta, in big metropolitan cities, and they're void of people of color, really. When she's on stage, she's like, invoking all the spirits of all these black actresses around her and that's what i love so much she is not like 
I did this, guys. Look at me. I, I, I'm one of you. She takes the time and she lists just like every black actress she can think of in the moment. And I'm sure her brain was going a, mi a million miles per hour. Um, and it just, it kind of reinforces of the black women that we have, I mean, all of the black women that we've talked about on this podcast, you know, have had this same energy and loving spirit of supporting each other, um, which I just love, love, love so much. And so um, to see her at this pinnacle of Hollywood, um, taking the time to, pay it forward, look back behind her to Dorothy Dandridge and everyone else who's gone before her. It, it, uh, it was, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. From there, you know, she basically the world is her oyster and she gets offered a huge role in 2002's Die Another Day, which ended up being Pierce Brosnan's last James Bond film. She <laughs> ends up playing uh, Giacinta Jinx Johnson. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I had never I seen think, this movie before. <laughs> uh, I mean... And could you have lived without seeing it? Probably. I guess um, I'm going to go die another day. <laughs> I die another day is cuckoo. Sometimes, but sometimes I say it's my, sometimes I say it's my least favorite James Bond film. Other times I say it's tied with another James Bond film, which is Octopussy. It's bad. It's very bad. It's so, I mean, all you need to know is that it's the one that Madonna's in, okay? <laughs> right. Every line is a sexual innuendo. Every wow. line. E every, every single Every line is a sexual innuendo. Bond. And Miss Swift. Space and Technology Magazine. Really? I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. I see. Everybody's a cartoon character in it. And, you know, the, the the one thing that's iconic about it is she recreates the Ursula Andress bikini scene from the original James Bond film, Dr. No. She comes right. out of water wearing the same bikini. It's great because she's a black woman as opposed to yeah. a white woman. So, like, times have changed. Beautiful signaling of that. That's it. That's the that is the one. Truly. And it's like the one maybe scene. 30 seconds of, of worthwhile thing to watch. For some reason. To this day, her Bond girl or Bond woman, whichever you, whichever one you want to go with, is considered one of the best Bond girls. I, I don't know why. They almost gave her a spinoff movie. Controversially, wow. I don't understand this because honestly, two movies before, they were talking about giving a spinoff to Michelle Yeoh's character from Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, what, and I, I think watched. Michelle Yeoh's, yeah, exactly. I think Michelle Yeoh's character is an actual well-rounded character and could definitely have sustained her own film. I think Halle Berry's paper-thin, thief-spy, tough-girl character in this movie is not Nothing. good. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh. But she was able, in the same year, to leverage her Academy Award to them rewriting her role in X2 and giving her more lines. Um. So, she did get that. <laughs> she got that done and but she brought um, her own wig yeah she brought her own wig uh also in 2003 she does gothica with robert downey jr um do we want to do we want to talk about how many times halle berry's been hurt on set by the way i, she, I mean during the so shooting many times. of yeah during the shooting of die another day um she got hit in the eye when a smoke grenade flew at her and she had to have bit of something removed in a 30 minute operation during the shooting of gothica 
Robert Downey Jr. grabbed her arm too hard and broke it. Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, she's throwing her body into these films. Right. Didn't she also injure herself in Cloud Atlas? Um, yes. Like, it's, it's, I mean, honey, take care of yourself. I'm scared. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm like, what is, what is wrong? <laughs> Hallie. <laughs> Gothic is fun in the way that it's like, it's like, it's not good, but yeah. she is she is a, a very convincing horror movie lead, and I almost wish she would do more horror movies because I think she brings a real sympathy to her characters that mm-hmm. a lot of other horror movie actresses kind of um, leave out. Uh, Roger Ebert said something kind of shitty about her, saying that um, Hitchcock would have loved her, but then again, Hitchcock didn't really cast for acting. He Book. cast for... Fuck so like, off. Yeah. Um, Fuck also... I. I read that Ebert included Baps on his most hated list. And that yes. to me is like, fuck all the way off. Like this movie <laughs> clearly is not for you and you suck. The next major role she takes is in the film Catwoman. Um, she plays a, a newly minted character, Patience Phillips, who is a solely created for the films uh, version they of Catwoman. Selena Kyle. I don't know her. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, thank you. Um, yeah, Catwoman. I don't. I don't know how much there genuinely is to say about it. It's a. It's a huge bomb. She receives twelve point five million for being in the film. It's a hundred million dollar movie. It ends up grossing seventeen million in its first weekend, which is yeah. Bad. Um, critics consider it one of the worst films ever made. Um, there are it's, worse films. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I think a big part of this movie, the why it's like. Clearly, the script is fucking crazy. Um, but also, the director is like a visual effects person. And so that's yeah, why the Pitoff, movie... Yeah, who is a, a collaborator of Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who did like Amelie. This was Pitoff's first film. And which um, is why like this movie looks fucking crazy. And it looks like video game like yeah. interstitials. Like for no reason. I mean, it's it truly just looks like he's bored. It looks like shit. And especially as somebody in post-production, I can't imagine trying to this like weird zooming camera and it's odd to me like she spent so much time so much time learning stunts and and learning how to crack the whip and she looks amazing yeah but there's so much cg her in the movie and once Mm -hmm. again i don't want i don't want people to think i'm defending this this movie is mostly a soulless cash grab uh, I right. was discussing with my friend Rob that I really think that more than anything, the movie that we can blame this on is actually not Batman. It's Spider-Man because I mm. think it's trying to bridge that gap of like this kind of darker character, but it has this very kinetic sort of uh, hyper-realistic theme and she's constantly being replaced with these uh, 3D CG models and and it look as you mentioned it looks like a video game more often than not um, and in a very negative context um, it's, just, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a pile of slop I mean it's very very bad but like I think she probably was game to like camp it up but like because of the visuals and clearly the director just was not interested in that and so it's I mean God, she goes to a bar and she's like, white Russian, hold the Kahlua. And I'm like, oh, cool. She's yeah. drink, she's drinking a fucking glass of milk at the bar. Like, it, And the editing is and, also fucking crazy. Like, yes, the, the movie is chopped and screwed, honey. And listen, yeah, I mean, it, it is all these problems. But I, I do think we should talk just ever so briefly about the 
cultural or or what the perceived cultural impact of that was because i think in her mind what she is seeing is you know this is not historically a black woman's role famously Eartha Kitt played this character on the 66 Batman show. She was one of three women that ended up playing Catwoman. And I think Halle Berry saw herself as somehow fitting into that lineage. There aren't that many big budget black superhero films. I mean, you can look at Blade and it's considered an anomaly, even though it does essentially help launch the modern uh, the modern superhero movement. Mm-hmm. But then you have things like Steel starring Shaquille O'Neal. So I, I think she's seeing sort of the reverse of what John Goodman saw in Flintstones. And I did say we were going to come back to that, which is she's seeing this iconic character. And yes, you can say she's already done iconic. She did Storm. But listen, she has about five lines every X-Men movie. Right. This is a lead. She And she wanted a chance to make this character her own. And also, they created this character for her. You know, So I, I think all in all, what's happening is, is she sees herself as cementing a place in history. Unfortunately, it backfires because you're right. It's the wrong director. It's very much the wrong script. But I I get why she's doing it. I also, I mean, anybody offers me twelve point five million to do anything. Hello, like I, I will mean, kill I, Louis on the podcast. That's exactly so. how much I'm worth. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, so it's so it like I, I don't I don't ever want to defend this movie because it is kind of soulless garbage. But also, I I think there is. I think there's more egregious things that have happened in her career. And I, I think the fact that the studio was willing to try and take this chance on on giving a black woman a lead in a film that's not even traditionally a black character is a, a slightly more interesting than it probably deserves to be. Right. And but the the, the effect, the net effect, though, on her career, though, is you know, oh, yeah, kind of immediate, like Catwoman bombs just like fully fucking tanks she wins the razzie we hate the razzies Mm -hmm. we do not support the razzies the razzies are awful they're all about making people feel bad um but you're right she wins the razzie but and but she gives a very good spirited um acceptance speech um and you know takes it in stride first of all i want to thank warner brothers (laughs) thank you for putting me in a piece of shit god-awful movie But unfortunately, fucking Hollywood is like, okay, well, you're the plague now. Um, and <laughs> and truly and, don't, don't know what to do with her. I, that's 100% true. And it, and it affects her career. It has not even the reverse effect of what an Oscar does. It has like double the reverse effect of what an Oscar does. Because I, I don't know if anybody's as badly treated af- after being as elevated as mm-hmm. as she has been because i i think you know she has had to produce a lot of her own stuff to even get it made and i think a lot of that stuff has gone underfunded because of that reason and it's unfortunate that being a woman of color that she can make one mistake one yep. high priced mistake and yep. suddenly you know she she can't do anything but anymore but it's also again. like it's it wasn't even her mistake it was like yeah right. they got her in it but like the studio hired the wrong fucking director for it like it looked it, it's 
you can't blame her for those fucking lines. You can't blame her for the 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 way that this the movie looks. Like she looked fucking incredible in that suit. She did her work, but like you and, know, yeah, I gotta say, she in all honesty, she's committed to the bit yes. in the movie. I I, I was watching. It, I was like, is what she's doing just a little bit art? I mean, <laughs> because she, she, you know, she said, if you put that outfit on hello like you are gonna feel a type of way you were gonna give like i'm pun intended but you're feeling like pussy like hello yeah <laughs> like and and so she did what she was supposed to do it's not it was not her mistake it is like everything around it. unfortunately she's just the face of that mistake if you don't have an identity why keep it a secret because you killed me it was me you flushed down the pipe I'm Patience Phillips. And literally, like, what, we didn't get another female superhero until maybe Wonder Woman? Like, right. I don't know. I think, like, between this and Elektra, people are like, okay, we're enough. We, we tried. We're not doing it anymore. The, which, by the way, we, we covered Elektra in our Jennifer Garner episode. And also, uh, real quick, uh, in our Sandra Bullock episode, we mentioned Sandra Bullock accepted her Razzie. Yes. Um, Halle Berry was actually the first actress to accept her Razzie. So she's a trailblazer. Iconic. <laughs> In more than one way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, also, so another sidebar for Sandra Bullock, by the so way. So she passed, on, Halle Berry passed on speed. Oh. Uh, for the Sandra Bullock role. And her friends, in order to make her feel better, told her, yeah, but you wouldn't have been Sandra Bullock. You just would have been that woman driving the bus. <laughs> As you mentioned, her career never really fully recovers. In 2007, she does the Bruce Willis serial killer movie, Perfect Stranger. Um, she does Things We Lost in the Fire with Benicio Del Toro, which is a drama. And she was directed by uh, director Susan Beer. This was not her first time working with a woman director, but she said that it was their first time um, sort of feeling that that connection between mm -hmm. a, a woman director and i think this changes the way she works when in terms of in terms of directors and she ends up working with a lot more women directors after that she falls out of you know like i mean she's just kind of halle berry the icon as opposed to halle berry the like working actress it's right. like very she it's very far and few in between roles that she's um, actually picking up in 2010, she does Frankie and Alice, which is a multiple personality uh, disorder movie. I I liked it. I don't know if you saw it. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I was kind of shocked to hear that people gave it the movie such a mixed response. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was really strange. I mean, it, it had like a rough road to like actually getting out. We handle films so differently nowadays that because like I in my brain, I kept comparing it to Sybil. And I think Sybil's such more much more of a straightforward, like really non sentimental look at that disorder. And this is a little more Hollywoody. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, she does the ensemble piece New Year's Eve in 2011. She uh, does the terrible shark attack film Dark Tide in 2012. <laughs> uh, she also does uh cloud atlas in 2012 she ends up doing a tv show admittedly she signs on as a co-executive producer of a tv show but she ends up doing uh extant in 2014 it's a ends up only lasting for two seasons she plays an astronaut who returns to earth she has a cyborg son and she's mysteriously pregnant i watched this when it was on i thought it was all right the second season 
went a little more actiony than the first the first season was a lot more com- contemplative um hmm. yeah i d- i don't and th- and now it seems like sh- we've just sort of entered a action movie phase for her she and i mean and not, not to say that she hasn't done these before because i think like uh you know perfect stranger and um there are other movies from before that but like it's very lots of thrillers you know gothica could be wrapped up in this but like you know she does kidnap uh the call um uh kings i think the kingsman and john wick are movies that are like who could we get that's kind of a gag and they get halle berry whereas if she's not doing that where it's like the gag of halle berry it's like kidnap or the call where it's like a kind of mom character who is you know um fighting for justice and like being very like emotional and loud and so it's weird she's like now she's like her her i mean we're basically we're now her um genre is just like thrill thriller mom you know it's uh liam neeson but like a woman um right and it's it's which is kind of bizarre because you don't see her doing like romance really um i gotta say i thought cloud atlas at the beginning was really fucked up by the end of it i was sobbing my face off and thought it's really gutsy and i think her and tom hanks have like really good chemistry actually and i think they're really sweet together (laughs) um (laughs) but but yeah it's so weird like after the the hot the after catwoman coming down from that it's kind of like Okay, well, Frankie and Alice was this uh, other Oscar swing that didn't happen. Um, same thing could be said for, uh, you know, Things We Lost in the Fire, which I, I think both those movies are really good. Uh, but, you know, uh, for whatever reason, Hollywood just didn't fucking care. And so after that, she's just kind of like floating in the abyss and like, wait, like, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, I'll do Kingsman 2, John Wick 3. Um, not to say that those are bad, but it's just kind of like, well, Nothing, you know? I will say King Kingsman two is bad, but I love her performance in John Wick three. But you're right; it does feel. I, I think you described it best when you. It feels like people reaching out to be like, oh, you know, what would be a good stunt casting? Oh, I know Halle right. Berry, right? Um, but I mean, she she's doing lots of other things as well too. And we're gonna get off her career just a moment, back into her personal life real quick. But you know, she's doing a lot of her own production work. Uh, she's currently a producer on the BT television series Boomerang, which is actually a sequel to the movie about her and Eddie Murphy's son. I've not seen any of it, but I would like to because <laughs> I like that movie. She, in terms of her personal life, has not always had the best time in terms of, of dating um, in 1991. Unlucky in love, if you will. Yes, Absolutely. Um, in 1991, while shooting The Last Boy Scout, uh, a former abusive boyfriend that she's never named hit her so hard that she has lost 80% of her hearing in her left ear. Um, people have accused Christopher Williams and Wesley Snipes over the years. We're not about gossip, so we won't, but you know, just know that could possibly be one of those two. Um, <laughs> she married David Justice, who's a baseball player, on January 1st, 1993, and they divorced in 1997. Her second husband, Eric Benet, um, they had a two-year courtship, um, and they were married in 2001, divorced in 2005. She started dating Gabriel Audrey, who's a French-Canadian model. They casually met at a Versace photo shoot, Sam. Yeah, 
yeah of course um they have a daughter together and then the relationship ended shortly thereafter that olivier martinez she married in 2013 he was a co-star in that terrible dark water shark attack movie um and uh they divorced in 2016 i can't imagine constantly living in the spotlight and trying to keep a relationship together i think you know it's the very hard thing and and as you've mentioned or as we've mentioned she's been a little unlucky in love so you know i I do i I do feel a little bad for her in, in terms of that also in 2000 uh halle berry was involved in a traffic collision and she left the scene um she ended up pleading no contest to a misdemeanor uh for leaving the scene of an accident but but guys even if you're a celebrity if you're out there don't do don't, that don't do that don't it's wrong. She has all these interesting career highs and it's fun to talk about them and talk about all the lists that she's been on for being the most beautiful woman in the world, yada, yada, yada. But I think what's important to talk about is the fact that like she is an actress who's dedicated to her craft. She has been um, rewarded for that and awarded for that. But it sucks the way that she's sort of been treated post that award as though, yeah. OK, well, we gave you an award like we're done with you. Right. And, totally. and I think I think that's re- it's really frustrating to watch, especially after spending so much time over the last couple weeks watching her films and realizing, like, no, she is very good at what she does. She is actually a great actor, uh, but I think she's not given the opportunity to have these meaty roles, I think, partially because people see her as the person who did Catwoman. And I think the other people that see her are like, well, yeah, she won her award. So, right. That's it. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's certainly the unfortunate thing of being a trailblazer. And uh, yeah, I hate it. But <laughs> isn't it so hard being a trailblazer, Gavin? Oh, it's it so genuinely hard. is. Uh, I mean, that's obviously Spotify asked us to be in that ad for queer podcasts. So how do we, just, we do it? Yeah, we just had to turn it down. But let's get <laughs> out of the rewind and get into our picks. So why don't we start with our one star reviews? My one star review was a little hard because as we've mentioned, she's sort of been getting some not great roles post Catwoman, post her Oscar win. But uh, but I, I, I saw this one movie and I and, and there's a couple that I still want to talk to about, but I don't I don't want this episode to be nine billion years long. But I ended up seeing this one movie and I was like, this is it. And that is a little film called Kidnap from 2017. <laughs> Oh, that's oh, I'm so mad. I didn't get to see that one. But like, wasn't she a producer on that movie? She was. In fact, her production company, it was one of the first films she produced. Um, and also, you know, the movie had sort of a tragic history. Anyways, it was shot in 2014. And then the film company behind it went bankrupt and it sat on a shelf. It wasn't released until July 31st of 2017. She plays a character named Carla. She works at a diner and you know, she's stressed out. Everybody's mean at the diner and she has a 6-year-old son and there's this she she brings him to a park and she has this conversation on the phone with her husband about custody that is literally never comes up again. It's it's <laughs> it's only service in the movie is to get her away from her child while she's not watching her child um two uh incredibly white trash people grab her kid um and throw them in her car she runs after him drops her cell phone and then the rest of the movie or 80 percent of the movie is her chase trying to chase them down in her car um 
that's it. That's the movie. Um, <laughs> she is frantic almost the entire film, just uh, wide-eyed, screaming at the top of her lungs. You know, hit me, my son. Um, yeah, yeah. Harried. Uh, as I've mentioned, these the these two kidnappers could not be more like huge stereotypes. I mean. The only thing that was missing was maybe the Confederate flag on the back of their car. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Subtle. A, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and that's uh, called restraint. <laughs> exactly. It's it's a husband and wife. She, you know, she ends up slowly taking them out, but but not because, you know, one comes back and then there's a twist and then there's, you know, it's a, a child abduction ring and oh, goodness. And I, I feel oh I God. feel bad because I. I would love to go more in depth with this film, but it's not that deep, honey. It's not not that deep. I mean, child abduction ring. It sounds like a right wing conspiracy comes to life as a movie. (laughs) Exactly. And like, I I don't know. And I don't know how to describe what she's doing wrong as I mean, the movie is bad. The script is bad. It looks bad. It's directed poorly. It has some of the least exciting car chases for a movie. That's 90% car chases that I've ever seen in a film. I, n- I never once was on the edge of my seat. I was as far back in my seat as I could possibly be. And <laughs> you were on the I floor. Just, yeah, exactly. I was, I was out the room. Um, and I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what could have made this movie better other than not getting made. <laughs> and it's frustrating because it's one of those things where it's like clearly she put her money into it. And it it makes me so angry because it, it does come back to that idea that people aren't offering her the things that she deserves. And so once again, when I do my five star review, my one star review, my five star review, I do try and base it on performance. I am actively saying she's bad in this movie. But I am saying that the material is failing her and not giving her anything to do. And as I mentioned before earlier in this podcast episode, she's very much a reactiony actor. And when mm. there's nothing to actually react to, the performance becomes very hollow. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a like she didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. Why were any of us there? If you let him out of that car. I will stop chasing you. I'll go away. Okay, all I want is my son. As long as my son is in that car, I will not stop. Wherever you go, I will be right behind you. No matter what. That's a good pick. Um, My one-star review is 2001 Swordfish. Um, This movie... Take that, Swordfish. This movie... Name a woman. Name a woman, Swordfish. Name any woman. Because... (laughs) Do you know any women? (laughs) Ma'am, for one dollar, name a woman. And I don't think this movie could even (laughs) name Halle Berry, okay? First of all, she's the only woman in this movie, and she's literally just objectified and treated as a sex object or like a dum dumb and is just there for I don't know Hugh Jackman's and John Travolta's like tomfoolery and fuckery um I wish I could tell you what this movie's about but no one knows like clinically um it's like action thriller computers and the internet and terrorism but also like 
John Travolta is just like talking about like the art of the deception and movies don't get made how they should anymore. And Don Cheadle's also there, I guess. <sighs> it's such <laughs> it's such a millennium clusterfuck of like, whoa, the internet's fucking crazy. And also like ever fucking hang out at a warehouse party and listen to house music and take your clothes off. Uh, and and it's what's wild is like in this movie, her and Hugh Jackman have no chemistry. She certainly has no chemistry. None with John whatsoever. It's uh, and, and the scene with her, with her top off is meant to be like, isn't it so shocking and crazy how this one hot black woman just hangs around with all these like bad guys. And she's just so casual without she's reading with her tits out. It's like, Okay, cool. Now, this is not just a multi-screen system. It has a DS3 connection, which allows us to access seven different networks simultaneously. It has a central encryption that you would have to crack in order to utilize the system. Give it a try. I don't know. It's going to be pretty hard without a gun to my head. Well, maybe I should put a gun to your head. Hugh Jackman, honey, I'm so sorry, sweetie, but you are no Antonio Banderas, okay? He knows how to react when he's hacking. Hugh, when he's hacking, is the, the most boring garbage. That I, I, I remember seeing this movie as a kid, and the only thing that I remembered and my reaction was, like, being very horny for Hugh because there's one random scene where, like, literally one of the few other women in the movie... And she has no name, but literally John Travolta makes her give him a blowjob while he's trying to, like, hack into the thing. And he was like, oh, oh my God, oh, oh, I need more time. Oh. And, like, literally gunned to this woman's head to give him a BJ. And I thought that was so hot when I was a teen. Um, now, as a full-grown human being, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's all you have to know. I had never seen this movie until I did an episode of The B-Side for Dan Mecca that was about Hugh Jackman and that was one of the movies picked and I, I, I it is bad. It's very it is bad. so bad. Very and bad. I was just like, I, I felt the same way you do. I was like, this movie doesn't have women in it, so I'm not going to rewatch it. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's nothing else to say except that, um, they, they, they filmed an alternate ending that would basically would have changed the entire movie. Um, I don't even think like both endings are bad. I was like, no, that still is not, doesn't make this movie better. Um, and it's, it's just a truly a millennial cyber nightmare. <laughs> was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like? I mean, I think, you know, we don't need to be, a dead cat woman, but like clearly I didn't even rewatch yeah. it. I was like, there's just no fucking way. Um, it's it truly, I, it, I rewatched it and I, I, no, I will say this. I post Razzie's whenever Holly Berry is asked about it, she refuses to be negative about it. And I Good respect that <laughs> on a scale of one to 10. How would you rate the film Catwoman? You're asking me? Yes. A hundred. A hundred? <laughs> I loved Catwoman. I really did. I hated cats going into that movie. And I came out of that movie with a cat. They gave me one of the cats from the movie. And now I'm a diehard cat lover. It's not her fault. And people yeah. 
shit on her so much about it. She looked fucking great, and she did the best she could. But it is a garbage movie. Um, uh, what else? I mean, I don't know. I think the movie uh, Perfect Stranger is a bad movie. I don't. I think. Sh- it's um, it's a classic. It's like it's not, uh, saying it's a movie is generous. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it's I, a movie. I, the ending of it like invalidates everything you've seen. Right, before. it's a bonkers. Like, I've bonkers. Never, yeah, I've never seen a movie so quickly be like, and nothing you have seen has mattered. Right, <laughs> and but I I have I take personal umbrage though because it's the perfect um thing that. Um, encapsulates like movies being like journalists lie to get whatever they yeah. want to get the story. It's like there's no fucking way a journalist would like make up a name and start a, like she's not Josie Grossy, okay? Like it just it, right. This is it makes no fucking sense. Um, yeah. Uh, my other two big stinkers were the aforementioned Dark Tide, which I think I just called Dark Water a little bit ago. Sorry, <laughs> so, sorry, Mark Ruffalo. Um, but Dark Tide is a really shitty shark attack movie. Um, that is another suspense film that uh, lacks any sort of suspense at all. Um, but like, I guess in the end is inoffensive in the fact that it's just like, I don't know, it, it exists. And right. But, um, the the other one, the, the one that I would give a co one star review if I could is 1995's Losing Isaiah, which mm. I think is actually a very offensive film. Um, Halle Berry plays a young drug addict who leaves her child um, and the child is picked up uh, by garbage men and brought to a hospital. And the nurse there, the white nurse there, played by Jessica Lange, decides to adopt the child. And then a couple years later, after Halle Berry has cleaned up, uh, she decides she wants to fight for custody of this child. Um, it is very much a white savior movie. It is a movie that is 100% on Jessica Lang's side. I understand Halle Berry was very early in her career. So I get why she took this role because it's a leading role, but also like, ugh. if, if you thought she was very good as, as a drug addict in jungle fever, this is the reverse of that. This this movie is incredibly judgmental about that. And, you know, I think the only per- Jessica Lang even Jessica Lang even said, by the way, that she only took this movie because it was in a downturn in her career. She hadn't been cast in a really long time. And she knew this movie was fucked from the beginning because it didn't even have an ending. So so like Ooh. people know they are aware and it's just frustrating that Hollywood would push this narrative. The only uh, the one positive, the net positive in this movie is Samuel Jackson is maybe the most fair character. He plays Halle Berry's lawyer and he delivers a speech in the courtroom with like, you know, are you going to raise this kid with with any sort of reference to the fact that he's black? Are you going to read him black Mm -hmm. authors? Are you going to let him listen to music by black people? And and that stuff is maybe the the most interesting part of the movie, and most of it's thrown away. But luckily, Samuel Jackson is such a good actor; he's able to give it the gravity I think it deserves for five minutes. So that's yeah, something I really disliked. I really disliked losing Isaiah. Uh, directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. Hmm. He loves um, doing those type of movies. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. Let's accentuate the positive and get out of here. And do our five-star reviews. I am just going to go ahead and 
put my foot down and say that my five-star review for Halle Berry, iconic black actress, is in fact 1997's BAPS, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna fucking do it, okay? Do Listen, it. Listen, BAPS is so, so funny and was made by people that knew exactly what they were doing for exactly who this was movie was for. Visually, look at this movie. This movie looks incredible. The costumes by the iconic black uh, costume designer Ruthie Carter, who would get her Oscar 10 billion years later for Black Panther. Who also clearly likes working with Halle Berry because she shows up so many times throughout these films, but also, unfortunately, is the costume designer on Kidnap. Oh my god. Well, see, well, she 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 called her good Judy up and said, "Hey, hun, I got a movie I'm making." But Absolutely. we also see her all over um, the Spike Lee movies. Um, I think this movie is, I mean, because when I think about it, it's like of of her filmography, like the things that are going to stand the test of time and that have stand the test of time is BAPS. You know, like I could talk about how much I really liked Frank, Frankie and Alice and, you know, things we lost in the fire. But like, realistically, in out in the culture in the world, when they started playing BAPS after Drag Race, I was like, I'm sitting the fuck down and watching because it's so good. And I think Hallie, you know, I don't think she often or enough gets the chance to do comedy in this movie. She gets to play comedy, but also like you mentioned earlier in the rewind, there is heart there. She knows this woman. And um, so really quickly, the the plot basically is these two friends, Nisi and Mickey, they are, are from Georgia and they they are living, you know, a small town life and they see an ad for a music video that's being shot in Los Angeles. They decide, I mean, and, and you can feel like the yearning from Hallie. She's like, this is our chance. We got to like try and make something of ourselves. Her and her, the, the two boyfriends, their biggest thing is like, they don't want anything in life. She wants something for her life. Um, even though PS, I think her boyfriend literally invented Uber in this movie. Um, Yes. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> His big scheme is car hailing services. Um, so they decide to go to L.A. and audition for this um, uh, music video. They don't get it. But someone else sees them and hires them to take care of Martin Landau, who is this aging, uh, ailing old man who has a bunch of money. Um, it's very kind of like fish out of water story. Um, them dealing with the butler. Um, but it, once they understand that there's a scheme going on, that this kind of like nephew characters is trying to like get all his uncle's money, they actually have, they, there's, they have conversations about this is a good man and he just needs love and, you know, company and he treats them well. And th they actually have this beautiful kind of relationship. I've been thinking, okay, about how we gonna get up out of here. What? Don't act like you don't know, Mickey. The guilt, the guilt of what we doing. Now that old man down there is a nice old man and he ain't got nothing around him but people trying to use him like you and me. I know, why do you think I got up and left? We should have been done, got up and left. There is a lot of layers on it. And so I think like it is easy to like look at it and be like, oh, stereotypes. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, is it the best portrayal of whatever? I mean, I think it's a celebration of black culture. I think Hallie is really funny. I think her co-star, Natalie DeSalle. She's so funny. So good. 
Um, they look great. It's just like a fun movie. It moves lightning quick. Um, but it, and, and it, and it never, you know, even for like the, um, I just love how black it is also. Like, I, I don't think they're ever, um, punished for who they are, even though when people kind of like give them like ugly looks and stares, um, they're the life of the party and you want, you want to be their friends. Um, so yeah, my five star review is BAPS. Uh, real quick before we move off of BAPS, I do want to say one of the other things that really impresses me about that movie is the scheme, the quote unquote scheme that you talked about is it dissolves like uh, like halfway through the film. And I and I love I love that like they're they they realize, as you said, you know, they have that conversation about this is a good man. And but I think a lesser film would let that plot line carry over into the third act and this movie's like uh uh-uh, we've got other things to do <laughs> and and yeah. i i really appreciate that because that's that's a breath of fresh air in films that are normally very very structured you know and and like i said right um i i i sort of in a way and i and i don't i didn't mean it as an as a negative but you know it is a black female dumb and dumber but it's got a lot more heart than that and it's a lot less conventional than something like that well, I think also like this movie, when you think hard, I mean, it's about these black women who would never have been given the opportunity to succeed. In the end, they are entrepreneurs. They want to start the the first restaurant slash hair salon. And as black women from small town Georgia, they were never going to get that opportunity. And it through their kindness to this very rich old white man, they're able to win him over and they kind of are able to kind of cross this cultural divide um and i don't know i just thought like man like this it's not just for laughs like it's meaningful um but again it's very fucking funny yeah uh good good pick i mean i i think you i think you've convinced me on a couple of things that maybe i i was a little more on the fence on but uh i'm gonna go i'm gonna go in a very different direction please uh but i but i am gonna pick something that i i think is not um you know, like like I said, I'm not a Monsters Ball fan. So like I'm not, you know, yes, she deserved her award. But I think my favorite performance, my five star review for Halle Berry would be 2007's Things We Lost in the Fire. Oh, Gavin. Um, yes. Yes, yeah. Gavin. <laughs> I, uh, as I mentioned, it's a film directed by Susan Beer, um, a Danish filmmaker. And, and this is a director she really connected with. And I think it really shows in the film. Um, she plays a character named Audrey Burke, who is dealing with the loss of her husband, Brian, played by David Duchovny. They've been married for 11 years, and he is killed in, in an attempt to break up a domestic disturbance. They have two children together, a 10-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son. Um, at the same time, he's he's been friends with this man named Jerry Sunborn since they were in second grade. He's his best friend. Jerry Sunborn has not had the easiest life. He is a heroin addict. Um, Halle Berry has Audrey, her character Audrey has always sort of resented their friendship because she saw Jerry as somebody who was dragging Brian down. But in a in a way, she also loves Jerry because he was her husband's best friend. So uh, she decides to invite him to move into a room adjacent to their garage, which they'd recently been restoring because it burned down in a fire. Hence the name things we lost in the fire. The titular fire. Um, the titular fire. Um not Holly Berry. And uh <laughs> and there starts to develop a relationship there as her as she processes her grief. 
He starts to fill in the role of her departed husband uh, with the kids with the next door neighbor, which is also a relationship I was not expecting. And, and I really liked he, he sort of takes yeah. over th- this friendship uh, with John Carroll Lynch, which is funny because John Carroll Lynch is also the serial killer in Gothica. But um, spooky, ooky. Um, I really liked this. It's a it's a small film. It's a quiet film. It's tender. I think it does some interesting things that I'd never seen um, on film before in terms of grief. Um, if you've ever lost a family member, it's tragic and it lasts your entire life. Um, and you, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody ever truly um, processes it or they, they can, but it's, it's a very long road. And this movie is really looking at a very short span of time after that, uh, that loss and I think Halle Berry's character is really believable as somebody's grieving there's there's a scene where she yells at her children that I thought was incredibly uncomfortable but so well played my favorite scene in the movie is there's a part where Jerry encourages the six-year-old son Dory to put his head underwater which is a a, a callback to a scene earlier in the film in which David Duchovny is trying to t- teach his son how to go underwater in a pool um, and I the capper to that scene is Halle Berry comes to Benicio del Toro and tells him she's angry because that was her husband was supposed to teach her son that what you did today broke my heart. What I do. You got Dory to put his head under the water. Oh, not just a cute trick. You know? He's six. Harper put hers under when she was only three. It was something that Brian tried and tried to get Dory to do, but he couldn't. And that victory today of getting Dory's head to go under was not supposed to be yours. It wasn't meant for you to have that moment. And for me, watching you was like this. This. I'm sorry. I think you don't see that enough in in movies in terms of how grief is processed, that it comes out in these small myriad ways and they fester and they hurt and they're painful for you and they're painful for other people. Um, I, I don't see this movie as a tearjerker. There is a scene I absolutely bawled at where uh, Jerry invites a friend of his from uh, the 12 step program to come to dinner mm. and she starts asking what, I think in any other film, they would be like, these are inappropriate questions. How dare you get out of my house? But I think the way it is handled in the movie is what she's doing is she's attempting to remind Halle Berry of the small moments, the things that people take for granted, especially after somebody dies. And it's really, really beautiful and and very emotional and, and deep. And I think Halle Berry is able to connect to a place that um, isn't, isn't easy at all yeah and and just i i really ended up liking this film a lot it got kind of middling reviews i i did see one review that gave the dreaded oh this is oscar bait i don't think most oscar bait quote-unquote oscar baity films handle their subject in such a tender way so i don't know um maybe i'm at odds with some of the reviewers i mean i i think it majorly got good reviews it just went sort of underseen yeah but uh 
I, I yeah. totally I totally agree. I I love this movie. I thought it was so tender. I think she's so good as like and like as I said, you know, she's a great mom character. I think I mean Benicio del Toro is also kind of fucking on on another level on this movie though. He's so good here as well. Um I think the way that they handle, you know, drug use here along with the grief, that scene you mentioned, oh, it's so good at the dinner table. Um yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think I think in in lesser hands stuff would have went a little more generic. I th- I don't think the movie gets enough credit for not really being generic, and and that's uh, I don't know that it really impressed me. But like I said, a completely different world than uh, than Babs, right? Obviously. Yeah, and and the one thing I love about Things We Lost in the Fire though is like the movie they have this relationship, but it's not like a romantic thing. They're kind of just like grieving together. And, you know, uh, finding each other and, you know, at the end, it, it doesn't really like end with like, this tidy bow or anything. It's just kind of like, God, how do we keep living after awful things happen? Um, and yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's so good. Were there any other films that particularly tickled your fancy? Um, it's I mean, I don't know. I I literally was going to talk about things you lost in the fire. So I'm glad you did. Um, oh, oh, funny. Yeah, I but I, I also do think Frankie and Alice, her performance in it is breathtaking. Um, 100%. And I think she's really the highlight in that movie. And once again, I'm, I'm not I'm certainly not trying to take away from it by saying that it, it is a little more Hollywoody, which is funny, because it's a film shot in fucking Canada. And it wasn't really made by the Hollywood establishment. But it, but I think it, you know, it it to me felt a little more towards what you would consider awards bait, but I think her performance is, it is, this movie is more awards bait. I mean, you know, but she produced it and you can tell that she loved this role and with good um, reason, the, the scenes where she's, you know, kind of transforming into these characters and she's seeing herself. I mean, it's really quickly. The movie is about this woman who has uh, multiple personality disorder and she's, working with um still in Skarsgård to figure out what the fuck's going on and um it's i mean and it's it's just that kind of pulling back the layers of trauma and you know how, how this woman is going to eventually have to uh live as a, a woman with mental disorder nobody ever cared about frankie except for mama mr pete but you tried to help her don't you When I can. What stops you? <laughs> May I ask who I'm speaking with? Well, you never end a sentence with a preposition, Doctor. Isn't that what we were taught in school? She is stellar. She, I mean, she truly is like this supernova of energy and is able to play. Uh, and also, I think the movie is, uh, I was so worried. I was like, oh, my God. A white man's gonna come and be the 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 whole point of the trauma, and he is right, but, but not in the way that you think he might right. be. And I was very happy about that. But also, it is like again, there's layers to this performance and to this uh, story. And uh, yeah, Frankie and Alice is very good. And and she has, and as you mentioned, like she has some really great scene partners in that movie. I think her her acting chemistry with Stellan Skarsgård is really great and then you know she has these scenes with her mom played by Felicia Rashad yes and Jen it's one of those things where it's just like why doesn't Felicia Rashad do more mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know um so yeah 
but yeah, I, I I really liked that one as well. And we talked about Boomerang earlier, and Boomerang once again really great. And I think we sort of said our piece about that. And I right. I would I would highly recommend watching Boomerang. Um, the only I mean, because who knows when we'll talk about this ever, ever again. I will say Cloud Atlas surprised me in a very fucking weird way. I was ready to hate this movie, and then I ended up just like losing my shit at the end of it. And I was like, is this actually a movie about the moment we're in now? Like. What is the ocean but a bunch of droplets? And I, I lost it. Um, uh, it's very fucking long. Um, yeah. And it's probably not for everyone. But I, it it moved me. It moved I, me. I like it for the most part. I think some of the, the questioning. I mean, I get the whole thing that they're playing multiple characters throughout. Do I need Halle Berry to play an Asian man? No, no, thank you. Right. Um, you know, so like I, I but I, I saw in the theater and I really enjoyed it. Um it, it, it gave uh, when me I, when I saw it. So. it it's like it's almost like proto sense eight type stuff that the yes. Wachowskis were trying to go for. And you know what? Those big ideas that you know, love never dies, and we are all of the people, and we're at the best when we're helping each other. It's just like I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of uh, you know all the protests and things that are happening right now. But it, it, it's uh, if you have uh, three hours ish to to kill, I, I recommend. Uh, trying to sit through cloud Atlas. it looks it's gorgeous it's a gorgeous movie well before we move into our fast forward let's get into our mixed reviews review yes uh, my one star review was 2001's swordfish and my one star review was 2017's kidnap my five star review was 1997's baps and my five star review was 2007's things we lost in the fire uh let's get into that fast forward gavin So what's next for Halle Berry? I think she's starting, you know, I think she's moving even further into the like, fine, if I, if the work's not coming my way, I'm going to make it myself. Because the next big thing that she has, which it was just announced is premiering at the 2020 Toronto International Film Festival. However, that happens if it happens right. online, if it but she has a film, her very first movie that she directed. Yep. It's called Bruised coming out. Now, this this was a movie that was originally announced with Nick Cassavetes and Blake Lively in 2017. Halle Berry took it over in 2018, cast herself. And it is a, a film where she plays a disgraced MMA fighter. It's the reverse Rocky story where she's like an older MMA fighter and she has to face a young up and comer. Yeah. Um, and then she's also a mom. <laughs> What's wild is that Blake Lively was originally cast in this movie. And yeah. Blake Lively, who I don't know if I have much to say about her as an actress. She's fine, um, but she is considerably younger than yes. um, than Hallie. And I just love that Hallie's like, yeah, I still fucking got it. I can play this role. <laughs> who the fuck cares? Yeah, exactly. Hallie has been afforded a couple chances to do badass woman. And I think the X-Men movies failed her to actually deliver on that promise. Um, obviously, yeah. there's Catwoman where she kind of served her badassness but the movie around her kind of failed her as well and so i kind of am into seeing you know okay fuck superheroes this is just like an actual hit em up punching and sports um centered movie and so i mean the fighter is jackie justice hello um <laughs> so i'm kind of interested to see you know like she clearly is capable of you know uh being tough and um 
I'm excited. I and especially to see like you know she's had a long career to see her behind the camera. Um, you know that's exciting. Uh, and it's and it's cool that she's doing something that's not you know I mean take this as you will because it could also be seen as like obviously she's a first time director and she's a woman and even though she's paid her dues by being in this game for a very long time it's still a smaller film but I like the fact that it is you know she probably could have made her directorial debut with a bigger film with something that that maybe would have ended up really being directed by the director of photography and just her slapping her name on it but i like the fact that it is something smaller and therefore she probably can get a lot more personal with it in a way that you know uh, other celebrity stars might just be like oh hey i i directed this right i wonder if she's if there was thinking like okay well it's gonna come out at tiff and then let's see what happens with you know award season and i mean all of that's so kind of you know, obviously crazy right now. The Oscars are long <laughs> away from us now. And uh, who knows what Tiff's going to look like. But, you know, maybe she has a big campaign, award campaign season for acting, directing. Right. Who knows? I mean, who truly knows? My only hope is that she never has another year like 2017 ever again. 2017 was kidnapped, the aforementioned kidnapped, uh, Kingsman, the Golden Circle, and Kings, which I didn't bring up in the one star section, but I want to say that movie's personally offensive. Um, and so, like, I, I, I just need her, and I, I understand she is a working actor. She needs her name out there. She, you know, and I... I think there's something attractive to a lot of these roles in smaller movies like Kidnap and Kings. And then obviously she makes some bank on doing something like Kingsman. But I I just don't need any of that from her. I need good roles. According to IMDb, one of the only other things that she has lined up next is Moonfall, which is a role in Emmerich film, which is exactly what I'm warning against. I... <laughs> I'm so scared because I see the name Josh Gad and you know how I feel about that. Yes, exactly. It's her, Patrick Wilson, Charlie Plummer, and Josh Gad. And the, the plot of the film is as follows. A space crew travels to the moon after it's struck by an asteroid and is sent on a collision course with Earth. Please don't do uh, Roland Emmerich films. Please don't. <laughs> the only thing I can hope and pray for is her making out with Patrick Wilson and... Um, if, it, if, if they at least give us that, then I'll be fine. <laughs> that's all That's all any of us can hope for. And actually, Please. that's a perfect place for us to leave this episode with Hallie making out with Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Just a shining beacon of beauty and love and um, <laughs> these, these, these hot people making out. Love that so much. Um, but we do want to thank you all for coming back each week and listening to each of our episodes uh, thank you so much. We did decide to do something a little different for our next upcoming episode. Yes. Uh, normally we pick our next subject, but this time we decided to turn those reins over to you, our audience. And Louie, you put up a poll which contained Eddie Murphy, Queen Latifah, Sidney Poitier, and Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx came in with the lowest ranking of 3.6, which I think means it got he got one vote. Uh, Eddie Murphy was next at 19%, Sidney Poitier at 21%, and with a resounding 56%, our next subject will be Queen Latifah. The Queen reigns. I'm so happy and so excited to talk about the Queen herself. You know how I feel about um, actor-singers, Gavin, okay? Um, <laughs> and you love royalty. And I love royalty, uh, famously. 
so yes, that will be our next episode. Thank you guys for voting. Thank you all of you guys who um, joined us last week where we did our Netflix watch party and we watched a little burlesque. Um, it was hard for me to get through, but I, I survived. Uh, you, uh, you haven't seen The Last of Me, okay? A, a movie so nice that they put the title of it in three, count them, three of the songs sung in the film. <sighs> <laughs> definitely thank you so much for coming we will hopefully have another one coming up soon in the future uh, depending on what netflix has in their library or what they still have in their library uh but putting all that aside obviously you want to know how you can contact us well don't worry we'll tell you you can tweet at us at at the mixed reviews uh you can find us on facebook just type in the mixed reviews you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com so you can find us on instagram at the underscore mix underscore reviews also, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. And also, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you rate and review us, give us a nice five-star review and write us a couple little words. It helps other people find us. In fact, we received our first review, five-star review, in six months. So I want to give a shout out to Greasy Satchel, who left us the review titled Irregular. And the review reads, not your normal movie podcast. High energy, fresh outlooks. Enjoyed it very much and am looking forward to more. Subscribed. So thank you so much, oh, Reesey Satchel. Um, I am a regular. I've been working on that, though, taking my fiber. But, you know, <laughs> we do what we can. Um, but please do leave us a five star and a rating if you listen to us on Apple Music, because honestly, it helps other people find us. And we want to be everybody's favorite cinema studies course (laughs) hello hi we're professionals so once again thank you all so much uh we couldn't do this without you uh the the long nights of research and the gathering of the clips and everything uh we do it all for you so thank you for coming back week after week and uh thanks see you in two bye 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 i've got rhythm i've got music i got my man 